we sometimes don't get to do everything that we want to do. Sometimes things don't always work out the way we plan. But when you have the opportunity to come into the Lord's house and learn from our Master Jesus Christ and from God the Father, that's exactly the right thing. And so uh, we're remembering uh, uh, Brother Tony uh, and Miss June and Carrie and Chris and Rayleigh as they are currently in Mississippi. Are they down there right now? Carrie and Chris are big cousins from Tennessee. Oh my. Okay, so they're they're kind of in the process, and uh, especially for Carrie and Chris, caught a storm. Have you heard a result after that? Are they did they stop somewhere? Okay. All right. So, so we know God's protecting them, but we'll certainly pray for His provision and protection for them. Uh, one time we were in Tullahoma, Tennessee, uh, which is where my parents live, and we were at um, they call it Imagination Station, which is this big park that all the city came together to build that has all these playground things on it. And uh, there were three tornadoes that, that touched down while we were at the park. And they were like, the closest one was like 10 miles away, and then there was another one in another direction, another one in another direction. But where we were at, it just rained really hard, and we had to get in, you know, get in undercover and like that. Um, but the point is, there were tornadoes all over the place. So that does happen in Tennessee. But Tullahoma's on the side of a mountain, so it kind of get a little bit of shielding from that. Um, so we don't, we, we get our tornadoes too. Closest line I know of is hit that touchdown around here, was right down in Perrysburg. That's what got Perrysburg High School back in the day. Um, so we pray that they're safe. Scary stuff. Reminder that there is a membership meeting after service today. It won't take too long, but a couple things on the agenda for that. Um, and so we're going to do a membership meeting. And then reminder that next Saturday, big deal, um, and we try to get come out and get everybody that you can think of who would want to honor God to come out as we march the cross through the neighborhood on Saturday. And we'll take the 16-foot cross. And then we have some smaller crosses, those six-footers or whatever, eight-footers, wherever they are. But you can bring a cross. You can make one of your own, make something special, uh, wear a shirt that has a cross on it, whatever, and we're going to march the cross through the neighborhood and honor God. God did that for us. In fact, Jesus uh, was so close to death that he could, he could really not carry the cross by himself. And they enlisted a man from the crowd to help him. And then Jesus hung on that cross. And so that cross is a reminder... Uh, we're one of the few, maybe the only organization that I know of in the world that has a method of execution as kind of our symbol. The truth is, Jesus is really our symbol. Jesus is our leader. But the cross is a horrible, horrible thing, a tool that was used to crucify Jesus and others. And um, But we recognize the sacrifice that he paid for us. So we'll march the cross on Saturday. And then Sunday morning, before church, we're having a, a church-wide, and anybody that's with us, We'll get fed brunch. So we're having brunch before church on Sunday. And I don't know all the details of that. Um, what time do we actually start brunch? 10.30. 10.30. Thank you. Very good. So 10.30, you come, you eat. If, I'm going to tell you right now, if you get here by about 11, 10, 11, 15, it's all going to be cleaned up. It's all, it's all be done. Because so, we, we're going to eat brunch and, uh, and then move on to worshiping God at our normal time, 11.30. Uh, but, you know, this is one of the few times we've really had a chance to fellowship. I'll ask you to be sensitive with COVID protocols and like that. We'll have folks serving the food, won't serve ourselves, and uh, it'll be prepared in all the sanitary ways and all that kind of thing. We'll follow social distancing what we can and just be very uh, respectful to one another in light of the remainder of the pandemic, which is certainly not over. Okay? 
Did anybody else have anything? We are going to have announcements at the end of the membership meeting, but there's something I missed. Okay, very good. All right, so uh, I'm going to open us in prayer, but then uh, Brother Tony Tate will take over at the end of my prayer, and he's going to pray for the um, Bless Every Home folks that we're playing, praying for here in the neighborhood. Okay, so I'll leave it open for him. Yes. My friend Charlie. Yes. His grandpa is not doing very good at all. Yes. And his grandma, they've been married for over 50 years. So she's an emotional wreck right now because she's basically been watching him die over the last couple of days. I haven't heard anything yet, but as far as when I talked to him on Friday, they said that there was a very good possibility he wouldn't make it through the weekend. Okay. So that's Charlie. We, most, a lot of us know Charlie. Uh, he's come here some and played softball with us and like that kind of thing. And that's his grandparents. Daniel? Uh, yeah, the um, doctor's got the results that were wrong, and it is stage 3 lung cancer. But well, that's what they can do with their physical weeks, and then the process that they can do. Because they didn't find it in other places that they couldn't do. Well, that's what we were praying for. We already knew she had something wrong. So. Praise God for that. Wow. That's, that's not what you'd call a good report, but it's a heck of a lot better than a good event for sure. So that's good. All right. All right. Um, well, let's pray. Father in heaven, you are uh, our God. You authored the beginning of the earth, the beginning of the creation of this church, the beginning of each one of us, the events of our lives. Um, and Lord, even as we're going to talk about a little bit in the sermon today, each one of those events and the things that we face and deal with on a daily basis, they have worked together to make us who we are. And we understand that we are not forced by them to fit into a certain shape. We are freed by you to be the people of God. Lord, we, we have to admit, confess, and be open that we have struggled, we have failed, we have fallen. Um, we did do things that were not right by you before we met you. And even after we've met you, we've made mistakes. And so we confess them to you and ask you for your forgiveness. We thank you that it's been provided by Jesus, that immense sacrifice. And this time of year, we are kind of working toward and, and celebrating around Easter. We remember that Easter is, is the day that we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. And the truth is we ought to celebrate that every day of the year, all year long. And the resurrection power is what is at work in us, your power, God, to heal us, to move us, to protect us. We lift up the, the bristers and the gribbles and, uh, and then the people in Tennessee who may have been struck by that tornado whom we don't even know. And we lift up Charlie's grandparents and Jamie's mom. And Lord, we know others. Uh, we see the messages and things on Facebook and, and other places, people that are truly hurting. We know people who have been isolated by these events. They're, they're afraid to go out or they found some other reason to, be, um, to not be able to do some of the things that they would want to do. And we lift up this people today, Lord, your church, um, the city of Toledo, Ohio, and the United States. We lift up our government, our president, our officers elected. So many they are, and sometimes it looks like, Lord, they, they are really going through a struggle, really having a hard time finding their way and knowing what to do. And so we pray that your will would be done, that your kingdom would come. We know that the United States of America is in no means the, the savior of the world, and that the people of America need to look to you as savior, not to government. Um, but we have chosen them by election at least the best we know, and we pray that you will bless them. And then we pray for our church and our worship time here today, that it would honor you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.
Okay, um, from <coughs> Bless Every Home, we have uh, Andrea and Andre Adriana Gonzalez from 325 Sheldon Street, Jeffrey Harden, Hartford from 331 Sheldon Street, Kimberly and Christopher Forbes from 337 Sheldon Street, Carlene and David Stanley from 339 Sheldon Street, and Ronald Stone from 343 Sheldon Street. And um, I just thought it was really cool. The Lord's he's spoken and he speaks today. And uh, I spoke to my son and I, I got this song. That was really awesome to bless uh, our church, our family, people that are actually just going through a lot. And of course, these people right on Sheldon Street. Um, I told my son, what, pick a number one through nine. He said six. I said, okay, pick a number, number one through nine, 67. So he came up with Psalm 67. It was really good. It says, God be gracious to us and bless us. Cause his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Three verses more. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its produce. God our God blesses us. God blesses us, that all the ends of the earth may fear him. And so, Lord, we just pray and just uh, bless this uh, this family, our blessings on Sheldon Street. Um, God, that you would do everything that everybody needs you to be right now, God. A healer, merciful, comforter, Savior, Father. Um, in return, God, that they would get to know who you are. And if they already know you, Lord, then they just get to know you more. We thank you for your great faithfulness. You are faithful to the end and forever. In Lord Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let us praise God.
it this time? Okay, here's where we ask, how's the Lord been speaking? What have we seen this last week? A couple things I might share, but I want to hear from you. What do you got? What have you seen? Where have you been? Are you? Um, there was a song I was listening to. It's one of the NF's new songs. And there's... Now i got to find it again because it just went all the way to the top. Okay. Um, so NF is a rapper. He doesn't classify his music as Christian, but he's a, he is a professional Christian. All of his lyrics are clean. And there's a line, there's a couple of lines in there that says, I love the kind of rhythm as an all, but what I really want to do is learn to handle my thoughts. So, um, Say that again. Says I really love the tacarinas and all, but I really want to do is learn to handle my thoughts. What I really want to do is learn to handle my thoughts. Yeah. So for me, my problem is is that it's very similar to that. I love to do. I love to try to help. I love to try to be there for people. I love trying to be a part of something, but I have problems that is the, with the thoughts in my head. And, so it's like I love doing that kind of stuff, but what I really need to do is I need to figure out how to handle my internal problems. Because a lot of the times that and for anyone else out there that's struggling with similar issues, you know, those thoughts that are in your head, they're just thoughts. They the only time that those thoughts can affect you is if you let them affect you. So those thoughts are always gonna be there, but it depends on how you react on it and how you go about your day on how they affect you. I mean, you can have all the bad thoughts, all the negative thoughts, and you can have all these bad thoughts in your head, but if you let them if you let them affect you, that's when it's going to happen. If you don't let them affect you, and you be the stronger person, and you let God be that stronger person inside you, you can have those thoughts, but they mean absolutely nothing to you. And I think a lot of that is how, what we all have to do at some point in our lives. We have to remember that those bad thoughts are always going to be there till the day we die because that's just how Satan works. He puts those thoughts in our mind that we're not good enough, we're never going to be good enough, we're never going to amount to anything. So he puts those in our mind, but the only time that really affects us is if we let it affect us, especially us as believers because we have the Holy Spirit in us right. to protect us from that. Right. So if you're letting those thoughts affect you, then you're not strong enough in, I guess, you're not strong enough in your faith. Because with God in your life, those thoughts should never affect you. Those negative feelings should never be dominant in your life. The thing that should be dominant in your life is Jesus Christ. So, no matter how bad you're struggling, and like I said, this is a lot for me too, because I have a lot of really bad thoughts sometimes, and there's days where it really seriously affects me, and it affects my family, and it affects my it affects my job sometimes. So, but I have to understand that you know I'm I do believe in God you know, without a shadow of doubt. I know Jesus Christ died for my sins. I know I'm a new person, and I've seen so many amazing things in my life because of that. So I need to remember to I guess remember to remember that, and stop letting all this bad crap affect my life because the only one that can make it affect me is me so you have to I guess 
we all collectively as believers, we have to understand that God first is everything, no matter what. You have to put him first. You cannot put him second in anything. Because if you do, all that bad stuff is going to run your life. If you put God above, if you put anything above God, anything. And it, and like this goes even as far as if you are married, if you put your wife above God, that will affect everything in your life. Because that's just going to allow more bad stuff to come in. Because the number one thing in your life should always be God. Yeah. Also started to almost preach my sermon there, so <laughs> I'm gonna cut you off. Alright, anybody else? Good word. This morning, okay, I'll get you in one second. This morning, um, I was uh, gonna print off a job description real quick off my laptop, and um, I sat down in this chair and I, I don't remember whether my laptop was fully charged or not, but I sat down in the chair without it plugged in and I brought it up. And as soon as I brought it up, you get that little blue box that says, your battery is very low. And uh, I'm like, oh, well, I probably have enough to print off the, it should be fine, right? And so then I clicked the, I clicked the box, okay, the battery is very low. And I went to bring up the file, and literally as soon as the file started to come up, the laptop shut off. The battery was dead. So I'm like, oh, crud, now I have to go get the power cord and plug it in. And so I get up out of my chair and I put the laptop down on my chair and I walk around and I look and usually I have a power cord sitting there against the wall behind the, next to the stand. And I see that as the plug and the power cord is plugged into the wall and I follow the cord with my, with my sight and there's the little black box, you know, and I follow the cord up and it goes right up to next to the chair. It was literally like a foot from where I was sitting. And if I had looked for it when the, bat, when the thing came up saying the battery was low, if I had looked for it, I could have plugged it right in, no problem, it wouldn't have went dead and I wouldn't have had all that time wasted, right? But I had it in my mind that plugging in the power source was going to waste a bunch of time or was going to take a lot of work, right? And so I didn't do it. And then it went dead, and then guess what happened? It wasted a bunch of time and it took a lot of work. Not because it had to, because it was so close, because I had to go looking for it and figure out where it was at and get it plugged in. That wasted all the time. But if, while I was sitting in a chair when the box first popped up, I said, where is that cord? And I looked, it literally was like a foot away. I could have grabbed it without getting up out of the chair and plugged it in. I submit to you, the Holy Spirit then said to me, that our faith and our relationship with God is like that a lot of times. When we're in the difficult times of life or things like that, we say, oh, well, I've got to pray more, read my Bible more. And then pray. in those times, praying seems hard. It seems like it's going to be difficult because, well, is God going to fix it? Is there going to be a miracle? Isn't there going to be a miracle? How long am I going to have to pray? A week? Uh, a year? How long am I going to have to wait for God to act? Is God even going to act? Or then we so read our Bibles. Well, where to begin to read my Bible. I don't know what verses apply to this circumstance, right? Because we're waiting until the low battery light pops up, and then we're going, oh man, it's going to be so much work. When in reality, God was right there all the time. So what God kind of taught me out of that was stop waiting for the moment that you're in trouble to start praying. Stop waiting for the moment you're in trouble to wonder what the Bible says about that and spend time in prayer where the Bible says pray ceaselessly or without ceasing. Pray all the time. Talk to God all the time about everything. And then read your Bible. Read it daily. I'm not talking about, I mean, you should probably set aside a few minutes a day, but the truth is you should be reading it as much as you possibly can, anytime you can. And you're like, well, I don't like to read that much. Then get it on audio and listen to it everywhere you go. People listen to music all the time, right? You can listen to the Bible and you can become familiar with it so that when you get in the difficult situation and the low battery light pops up, in your life, which is uh, almost every day, right? Every day, sometime in the day, we get to a point where we're going, oh man, I don't know about this. 
you'll already have the Word, you'll already have your prayer, and you'll know that the power of God and your relationship with God is already so close, all you have to do is accept it, plug it in, if you will, meaning take what you're facing that you're not sure about and apply the power that you have already have access to, apply God's relationship with you to that situation, figure out what you're supposed to do. He said, see, if you just plug in in the first place, then when the box pops up that says low battery, you'd already be plugged in. And then I thought, oh, but wait a minute, that isn't actually how it works, is it? How it actually works is, if you're already plugged in, the box doesn't pop up. And that's what it means to be a follower of Lord Jesus Christ. When you reach a point at which most people would say, oh, I don't think I can do this, or oh man, I'm really taking a hit, or I'm really down, I'm really struggling, or I'm having thoughts, right? God is already there, and he, God will slap silly that demon that comes up against you, and you'll go, oh yeah, well that bruised, broken face demon, and that's relating back to a text that we actually studied a few months back. That's what God does. He will pound them to a pole to stop them from messing with you if you're already plugged in. But if you're trying to do it on your own, the box pops up, and then you're like, oh, you're reluctant to go to that power that was always at your disposal, and you and you don't have it. Okay? All right. Aaron. Um, so I, I was thinking about something I told the God's kids a lot the other day. Um, I say life is 90% how you react what happens to you, only 10% of what actually happens to you. Um, and that comes basically from the principle of you react poorly, like that's on you, it's not on you. the person that did something bad to you. Even uh, Matthew 5, 39, you turn to the cheek. Um, and so the other day, what brought that up to me was I somebody who was very mad. They just screamed at me. They were angry. I didn't, I didn't do anything to them. But, um, and I was, I was thinking about that, and I, at the time, it just happened to me, I guess, God laid it on my heart. I was thinking about it not ten minutes before. And I was actually going to do anything. I was going to do anything. Doing something. But then, um, and I sat there, and I just hadn't said anything. I um, I felt like God was telling me, oh, you're you're not doing it right, um, and and so I instead of sitting there and not doing anything, I was like, okay, what, what do I need to do? And I feel like God was saying, you need to do something for them, um, and so I went and I picked up food for them. Instead of sitting there and not doing anything, which I thought I was like, I'm being so, you know, kind of like I, I just, they just were screaming out of my face, and I, I just sat here and took it. I like, I, I felt like I had done the right thing. And I was like, no, that's not, no, that's not right. And, and I just read this, and um, Matthew five thirty nine says, turn to the chief. But Matthew five four, he says, if anyone wants to sue you and take away your chain. Sorry, that's not the right one. 41 says, and whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. And so, if you are meant to sit there and um, be trying to them by not retaliating, 
and go an extra mile and say, I forgive you, and I'm going to do this extra kind offering for you. Right. And that's what I felt God was saying. Just the thing to do. And I was misconstrued. Yeah. So here's an interesting thought. If someone mistreats you and you take it, how do you win in that circumstance? Did you win because you didn't lash out or do something, you didn't take revenge yourself? Is that how you won in that circumstance? That's not going to be a win. I mean, you survived. So it's like it's like taking a loss but playing again another day, right? So your uh, sports analogy. If you lose by 30 points, how is that a win? It's not a win. You lost by 30 points. You get to play again another day. That's great. Maybe you get a paycheck if you're a paid athlete, whatever. That's great. But you did not win. You lost by 30 points. However, if you then learn from the experience, treat the people who beat you with respect, encourage them and say, you know, hey, yeah, man, you really played well or whatever, now you've won. You didn't win the game. You, got, you can't change that. You lost by 30 points. The, the end story is you lose that. So it goes in an L in the book. But you won in the sense that you were the better person, you loved them, or you were kind to them, or you learned from the circumstances. So you can turn any situation into a win by, as I was just explaining to us, looking for what you can do then that would be godly. Do you think Jesus lost on the cross? Heck no. He laid down his life. They didn't take it from him. He literally didn't lose. He died. And we normally think of that as, as losing, right? But he didn't lose. And while he was not losing on the cross, he prayed things like, forgive them for they know not what they do. Proving his character. He won. And then because he won on the third day, he was resurrected. Powerful, powerful statement. All of these things tie into my sermon for today, which I thank you very much for that because as I prayed about and studied this sermon, I had some questions myself as I was going in the right direction, and I feel like that's some confirmation. Do we have one more? Otherwise, we're going to pray and move. All right, Jace? Um, I was out on vacation with my family. We um, were watching the news channel. Oh boy. And we heard about a tornado that tore through um, a village and there were many, many houses destroyed and no one was hurt. Um, there was no lives lost. And I just wanted to take and I just wanted to pray for them because it was a lot of damage that was done and there was many, many um, like problems that people might have had getting out or trying to help someone get out of the debris. But like I said, everybody is okay. I just want to pray for them because now they have to start rebuilding. Alright. Okay, so we're going to pray right now for that. those that Jason yeah, yeah. um, Okay, so we got a report. Charlie's grandpa is still holding on. So we're going to pray for the, those families that were lost or affected by that tornado. And we're going to thank God for speaking to us. Jason, would you want to pray for us? Yes. All right, we're going to let Jason pray. Jesus, God, thank you for this day. And I hope that you can help Charlie's grandfather get through. Hope that you can save them. And I want you to put, and I want to pray for the people who lost their houses in that big tornado on Thursday. And I want to pray for everybody in the world that's sick 
and it's all and people who are infected by some virus by the coronavirus in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Very good. Rise and offerings at this time and then worshiping the Lord unless it's coming up.
Thank you. 
All right. I'm going to do a little object lesson before we begin, assuming we have the right components. I don't know if we do or not. We'll find out. Okay. So in this room, where we are right now, uh, is there someone who can do a handstand slash headstand? Like, stand on your head, upside down. AJ can, but he's not in here. <laughs> okay. AJ can. Uh, if you, yeah, you can get on a wall if you need a wall. That'd be fine. Okay. Brother Tony and Tate is willing to try it. None of these young people can do it? You guys can't do a headstand? Yeah, they're all like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you can? Okay, can you do it right out here in the aisle? Without a wall? All right. You have to, you're going to have to hold it for at least 10 to 15 seconds. Oh, jeez. Can you do it without the wall? You can do it with the wall if you need the wall. It's fine. We just need you upside down is the whole point. <laughs> okay, so you can try it. Oh, that's impressive. Not 10 seconds, but okay. All right. Do it with the wall for a second so we can get you for 10, 15 seconds. Go back there by the wall. Okay. And then we need somebody to volunteer to go stand next to her. Not, but you can't touch her. Okay, all I'm going to do. All right. Okay, she's up. She's upside down. Very good. Okay. And Autumn is right side up. Okay. So look the same way she's looking. Look the same way she's looking. Okay. Now, would you say that between the two of them, they are currently seeing things differently? Yes. Okay. If Rosie holds that for about uh, about 15 minutes, she might not be seeing anything at all. Right? Autumn, do you think you're seeing things differently than what she's seeing? Is there something that she can see right now that you cannot? Probably. Okay. All right. So it, it definitely occurs that how we look at things from our spatial perspective, like as in, are you upside down or not? Or even from our training, our background, our personality, our philosophy, what our parents told us, what we read, etc. How you look at things changes things, right? If nothing else, when you're upside down, you can see all the gum stuck on the bottom of tables and stuff, right? Because there's stuff that people hide that they put on, and I'm being meta, using a metaphor, but stuff people hide that they put on the underside of things because nobody looks at the underside of things. But when you look at things differently and see them differently, you then can change what happens, right? So if you get down on your knees and look under, under there, you can see all that stuff and you could actually clean it up or you could make a difference. If you stay always right side up, stay always seeing things exactly the way you're programmed, if you always do exactly what your parents taught you, uh, listen to exactly the ideology of your teachers, for example, those kind of things, if you follow all that, then you're going to kind of follow a certain road. You're going to miss out on doing certain things that you might do if you said, I'm going to do it differently. One of my p- favorite uh, poets, there's a line from one of his poems, that says, I, I, I was traveling in a wood and I came to an intersection. And I, I took the path, path less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. And I used to think about that when I was a lost person and I didn't know Jesus, and I would always try to take the path that seemed a little bit different or odd, and basically I always screwed it up. I wound up having to lie or cheat or manipulate or sneak or run away uh, because I'd pick a fight with somebody that was too big uh, for me to fight or get beat up if I couldn't get away or that kind of thing. Um, because I was trying to take the path less traveled by. Little did I know then when I was 25 years old and when I met Jesus, the, the path with Christ essentially is what we need to be following and it is different. Okay, So like people in the world would say, I'm going to be goth because I want to be different. I'm not saying anything for or against goth. I'm going to be goth because I want to be different. With 12 million goth in the United States, you're not that different. Okay, 
and it, and it could be anything. I'm going to get a tattoo because I want to be different. Well, lots of people have tattoos, right? Then you say, well, I'm going to be a Christian. Well, lots of people are Christians. Being a Christian does not make you different. But what we're going to see today is there is an aspect, a part of being a Christian that will make you uniquely different. You will be different from everyone else if you can figure this out. Literally everyone. Your brothers and sisters might have got saved the same day, baptized the same day you did. They might have been programmed by the same parents, had the same classes. They could have had the same teachers, first grade, second grade, third grade, taught the same lessons, watched the same YouTube, watched the same social media, watched technology develop, listened to the same commercials, and yet you'll be uniquely different because of the thing that we're talking about today. Okay? So we're going to have four opening texts, and I'll try to get through them as quickly as I can. They're all short, um, but they're all about the same guy, but they're all from a different perspective. Remember that? If you're upside down or you're right side up, that's a different perspective. It's called seeing things from a different point of view. Okay? So the first one comes from Matthew chapter 27. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Karina, what would you say if you won the lottery? What would you say? Why me? Well, that's a good one. Okay, so if I won the lottery, I'd say why me too, because I didn't buy a lottery ticket. Okay. All right, Matthew. Matthew 27, here we go. And it begins in verse 57. So about a certain individual, right? And it says in Matthew 27, 57, And when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. So this guy is a follower of Jesus, all right? This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given over to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock, and he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. And on a side note, Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the grave. Okay? So this interesting character, Joseph of Arimathea, he is a Christian. However, he also has some other interesting traits, right? He's rich. Does anybody remember the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and Jesus said, one thing you lack, go give all that you have to the poor and come follow me? Well, Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man who was following Jesus. So not everybody who's rich has to give up everything that they have, right? All right, uh, Mark 15 is the next one, and you're gonna find jo- we're going to find Joseph of Arimathea again. Okay? Now this is from the perspective of Mark when he wrote, and it's 43 through 46. I'll just read from 42. And when evening had already come, because it was the preparation day, that means it was the day before the Sabbath. So on, they had to do all their work on the preparation day because they couldn't do any work on the Sabbath. And so that's the preparation day. That is the day before the Sabbath. Joseph of Arimathea came, a prominent member of the council, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Okay, so now we see he was a member of the ruling council of the Jews. So this guy has political clout. All right? he, is a, he has a vote on the Sanhedrin. And he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, meaning he's waiting for God to do God's will on the earth. And he gathered up courage, and he went in before Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And Pilate wondered if he was dead by this time, and summoning the centurion, he questioned him as to whether he was already dead. And ascertaining this from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Joseph bought a linen cloth, took him down, wrapped him in the linen cloth, and laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. And then as a side note, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the other Mary, were looking on to see where he was laid. Okay, Now, Luke 23. I guess you can't, bet you can't guess who this is going to be about. Luke 23. 
beginning in verse 50. And behold, a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, he had not consented to their plan and action. So we had a side note here that Joseph voted against or didn't vote. We don't know for sure, but he was not for crucifying Jesus, right? He had not consented to the plan to crucify Jesus. He was a man from Arimathea, a city of Jews who was waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. He took it down, wrapped it in a linen cloth, and laid him in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever lain. And it was the preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. Now the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed after and saw the tomb, and now his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and perfumes, and on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. Okay, and then one more. And it's John 19. These are all four different perspectives, if you will, of what happened through Joseph of Arimathea. So 19, beginning in verse 38, says this, And after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? So he was a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews. So in other words, because he was afraid of what the Jews would do to him or what the Jews were doing, he was a secret disciple of Jesus. He kept it quiet. He asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate granted permission. Now, he's not keeping it quiet anymore, is he? To go to Pilate, the guy who gave permission, he didn't do it himself, but he gave permission for Jesus to be crucified, was to expose himself completely as a supporter of Jesus. He's not hiding anymore. He's come out into the open. Okay? He came, therefore, and took away his body. And it says, And Nicodemus came also who had first come to him by night. And you may remember that story. It's in John 3. Nicodemus was a Pharisee who came and questioned Jesus about who he was. And Jesus told him, in order to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. You must have a fresh start. You have to start over in Jesus. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus. Now Nicodemus has come to help bury Jesus' body. And they came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight, And so they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, on account of the Jewish day of preparation, because the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Okay, so we have this guy, Joseph of Arimathea, and now we tack on Nicodemus coming out of nowhere, so to speak, to go to Pilate, who was the guy who gave permission to crucify, which means they could have been crucified, they could have been arrested, or they could have been refused. Certainly the Jews, who were still thinking, oh, there might be some other guys around to punish, right, could have gotten a hold of them. They come out publicly and ask for Jesus' body. So here we go. The first thing that I want you to see in here that really struck my heart was this. Believers, people who follow Jesus, come from all walks of life. Okay? We sometimes think, and Mary's song seems to point to, Mary was the mother of Jesus, and her song seems to point to, that God kind of turned things over, and only the poor come to Jesus. That's not true. There are rich people who come to Jesus. There are people of every skin color, even of every age. I know uh, in this room, we have people that came to Jesus when they were six. And we have people who came to Jesus when they were 25 and 23, right? And so we know that there are people who come at all ages. People come in all sizes. People come in all careers. People come in all backgrounds. There are people in this room who came to Christ but were molested as a child. And then there were people who were not molested as a child. There were people who were beat up 
regularly when they were children. And there were people who were not beat up. There were people who were malnourished. And there were people who were not malnourished. And so the tracks, if you will, to the point at which a person encounters Christ follows literally every variation of paths. It doesn't matter that we all live in the same nation and are subject to many of the same variables. The walks of life from which we come vary completely. Now, if we were truly a product of the walks of life in which we come, then if you could take into account all the things that you've experienced, then people could literally plug it into a computer and know exactly what you're going to do next. They could plug in all the impetus. It's how uh, AI works, right? So they plug in everything that you've experienced. They have all of your experiences, even the ones you have deeply repressed and you barely remember. All that's plugged in the computer. And the computer could tell you what choice you would make under any particular circumstance. Except that isn't actually how it works. Right? Humans draw from and emphasize different things. So, for example, we have in this room a person who has the latched onto art as a form of expression, and another person who is latched onto um, maybe singing or video games or working on cars. Right? They, they latched onto something different. So now, when something happens, if I was going to pro- program into the computer, I'd have to also be able to program your emphasis, what you think is really important what you have dismissed, what you've gotten over, what you never got over, and so on. So a a human is too complex. In just the last couple of years, they've been able to program AI. Finally, this is 2020, right? They've been able to program uh, artificial intelligences to actually make a bipedal, walking, upright robot or android. Previous to that, no AI was capable of doing that because there are too many variables in walking bipedal and upright. You understand what I'm saying? Just being you and just walking without all the decisions, without all the preferences, all the things that you do, without all of that, just walking requires so much complex movement and so many details to be taken into account and shifts in gravity, unlevel floor, the way your joints work, etc., that as soon as one variable would go out of whack, the artificial intelligence couldn't handle it and it would fall down or worse. But we're not talking about just walking. We're talking about functioning as a person. People come from all walks of life. Jesus said, you favor those who come from similar walks of life in Matthew 5, kind of in that passage that Aaron was talking about earlier. You favor those who come from all walks of life. And he says, so how is that different from anybody else? Right? So we, have, we come from a certain area in a certain way. Maybe your skin color is a certain way or your attitudes or you both like football or whatever. And we favor this, the people that like the same kind of things that we like. Right? But Jesus told us to be something more or something different than that. He was telling us to break out. So if I read to you Matthew 5, 43 to 48, you'll understand what I'm saying. You also see wow, how I figured uh, that this was sort of God's plan for today. Okay? So 5.43 says, You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's kind of quoting the, it's not what the Bible says, but it's quoting the verbal laws that they had come up with for the Jews. 44 says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you in order that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son, S-U-N, to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You ever notice that about God? God does good things to people no matter how bad they are. God blesses people and loves on them no matter how bad they are. Now, they will face wrath, which is really opposition. It's not anger. It's not that God is ticked off at people who are doing the wrong thing. right? But he will oppose what you are doing when you're not doing the right thing because what you're doing is not good for you. 
Right? So he will resist your course of action because it's not good for you. But God sends blessings. You're blessed to even be here, to have clothes, to have access to a Bible, to have access to a church, to have access to freedom of speech, to potentially grow up or grow into your life. He says, I say unto you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you in order that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son, S-U-N, to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, in other words, if you love those who come from the same walks of life and can relate to you, if you love those who have the same mentality that you do or think the same way, who, who will appreciate the things that you do, if you love those people, what reward have you? Do not even the tax gatherers do the same? In other words, tax gatherers gather together with tax gatherers. The rich gather together with the rich, Right? He says, and if you greet your brothers only, in other words, those who are followers of Christ, you could say, or even family members, if you're only truly respectful to those who are like you, what do you do more than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. See, there's something different that we're supposed to be. Something that draws us out of where we came from and puts us into where we're going. The walk of life you come from has nothing to do with kingdom advance. What you've been through has nothing to do with, the, with what you're about to be and do. There is a break in time at which all that you were and all that you went through only is grist for the mule, mill or fuel for the fire, if you understand that analogy better. right? It's only to be used up so when I think about the guys who bullied me when I was in high school and the guys that I beat up when they tried to bully me in high school and the guys that I failed to beat up when they tried to bully me in high school and all the fighting that I did before I got saved and my hands ache some days because of the, all the fighting I did and things like that, all of that is just, it's just for me to understand. It's just for me to take into account to realize that there are people truly hurting that need something. And what they really need is a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is not for me to get lost in it. There have been days where I've been thinking, praying, meditating, the enemy will try to throw up a me punching somebody in the face. And that image is in my head. I never should have done that. But I did it. It's not there for me to get wrapped up in anymore. Believers come from all walks of life. But that walk of life that you've come from, you're really supposed to come out of it. That's what it means to be the called out ones of God. And that's what Joseph of Arimathea was doing. He was a rich man who had been elevated to the Sanhedrin and now he comes asking for the body. Now because of his clout, he could ask for the body of Jesus. But in so doing, he was risking everything. He was putting it all on the line. He could have been the next one to be crucified. Everybody knew he wasn't in favor of the crucifixion and now he's asking for the body. It is plainly obvious to everyone that he is a disciple of Jesus. Even though he hasn't said so, they're figuring it out by his actions. And he could have been the next one to be crucified. He could have lost everything. His position, his money. They were taking people's houses and lands who were professing. Already had been doing that. In John 9, there was a, a, a group of parents. Their son was born blind. And they, when Jesus heals the man, they questioned his parents. And they wouldn't say. They weren't going to say nothing. Because they feared what people were doing to those who believed in Jesus already. And he had to risk all of that. He was coming out of his walk of life to follow Jesus. The second thing I want you to see in there is that, that then it's connected. There is a time to overcome fear and do what God wants you to do. There is a time to overcome fear and do what God wants you to do. Now, we could simplify this very easily and just say, it's always. But I'm going to say to you that based on this text, that's not true, is it? 
as much as we don't want to fear anything but God, and God alone should be our leader, God alone is our master, and God alone is our provider. But the reality is that God also created us as complex beings, and you can fear. For example, if I fear only God, am I now free to put my hand on the burner of the stove while it's on? No. And if I turn off my fear of putting my hand on the burner on the stove while it's on, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to get burnt. It might ruin my hand for my entire life. The tendons, the nerves may be fried and I may never be able to use my hand correctly again. Is that God's will? No. God has not asked you to divorce yourself of all fear. To be some freaking maniac that runs around taking all kinds of risks? No. Right? That's not what it's like. In fact, that's more of the world, isn't it? They're so busy dealing with their fear that they're trying to find ways to prove that they're not afraid. So they're bungee jumping and parachuting. and There's nothing wrong with bungee jumping and parachuting, right? But to jump out of a plane without a parachute and not be afraid of that would be absolutely maniacal. So God has not asked us to divorce ourselves of all fear, but there is a time to overcome fear. You know what it's called when you overcome fear? You heard it in the text. It's called courage. Courageous. That's what we are. To still have fear and to overcome fear and do what we're supposed to do, that is to be courageous. To have courage. If you have no fear, you're not brave or courageous. You're just stupid. We're crazy. right? But if you have fear and overcome it to do what's right, now you're courageous. And Nicodemus courageously overcomes his fear of losing everything and comes and asks for the body of Jesus. This is poignant for today because we are dealing with pandemic fear. I guarantee you that most people, you know what it was called 10 years ago, if you were afraid of a pandemic, you know what that was called? You're a germaphobe. And everybody laughed at you. Laughed at you for having to wash and sanitize your hands all the time and not wanting to ever touch anybody or anything that they are. Does anybody remember the TV show Monk? Right? TV show Monk, he was a detective and he was a germaphobe. He, he didn't like when people handed anything to him and, and he didn't like it when he had to touch anything that anyone had ever touched. He had, sand, he had an assistant walk around with hand sanitizer. She sanitized his hands all the time. And that's comedy. It was funny. We were all laughing. We thought, well, how quizzical he is. He's so odd. And we thought he was odd and that's great. And now we live in the pandemic and this is what's expected. For everybody to fear getting COVID and you're sanitizing and you're masking and you're social distancing and you can't shop in a store and you're bringing groceries home for a while anyway from the store and wiping them down with sanitized wipes because it could be transmitted by touching and you've got to go buy that brand new anti-disinfectant spray that will kill germs not only when you spray it but for 24 hours afterwards. Basically, the pandemic was attempting to turn us all into germaphobes. So it's very real. Should you fear dying from COVID? That's the question. And the reality is probably yes. God has given you a, a plan. If God wants you to die from COVID, you're going to die from COVID no matter what your efforts are, right? And if God doesn't want you to die from, die from COVID, then you're going to die from COVID no matter what your efforts are or not die from COVID. It's what God decides. God decides. So not fear that drives your actions, not fear that cripples you, not fear that makes you hide from telling people about Jesus. Right? But there is a realistic... Nobody wants to die fear. If you don't have fear of dying, if you don't have fear of the process of dying, then, you, then there is some kind of problem. And we've been teaching Christians all this time that we should have no fear of death. Right? And I get it. Perfect love casts out fear. The Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. It doesn't say that fear never existed. So we started to say, it, it, we mean cast out as in it eliminates fear. So we'll never have fear ever again. Right? 
That's not even what it says. Perfect love casts out fear means when you have fear, the love of God will overcome it and cast it out. It will push it away from you so you can still do what it is that you need to do. You can still serve God. Have you ever been afraid to talk to somebody about Jesus? If you've ever been afraid to talk to somebody about Jesus, then you must be some kind of waste case non-Christian actually pretending to be a Christian, right? No. You have actual fear. You're a human being. You're afraid of what they will think. You're afraid of what they will say. You're afraid of the outcome. You're afraid of where this conversation will go. Right? If you're ever walking down a dark alley alone at night in a part of town that you don't recognize and you start thinking, I don't know if there's somebody around. I don't have to get out of here pretty quick. And you started feeling fear. Well, you must be some kind of weak, useless Christian, right? Wrong. Right? You have inherently built in your flesh, in your body, fear. Listen to me. Adam should have feared taking the fr- fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. But he didn't. Or rather, he overcome his fear. And there is another thing that overcomes fear, and that is lust or desire. He saw that the fruit was good, and Eve had already taken it. And so he took it. And Eve saw that it was good and beneficial for knowledge, and so she took it. And so their avarice, their desire, their lust, their greed overcame their fear. This happens all the time. And that's the way the world works. They're constantly overcoming their fear to do what they want to do. It's not what's right, but it's what they want to do. Human beings can do this. We come from all walks of life. And all walks of life have built into us a certain feeling of fear that arises under certain circumstances. I've known people, uh, there was a guy uh, back when uh, Alicia was in high school down in Perrysburg who trained his son to be a, a football quarterback. And because he knew that being blindsided, peripheral vision was such a big deal, he, he would, actually, starting at the age of like four years old, he would put a blinder on his son's eye on the side as he was passing the football, he was playing catch and everything, and he trained him to, to not be able to use his peripheral vision. And then by that way, when he took the blinders off, he highlighted his peripheral vision and the kid, now by this time the kid was in high school down at Perrysburg, and he was a fabulous quarterback, and the story was circulating around about how he started to train his kid when he was like four years old to be a fabulous quarterback when he was in high school. And I don't know the end of the story, if he became professional or just quit playing football after high school, I don't know. But the point is, no matter where you come from and what you go through, it's all grist for the mill, including your fear. So what do you do when you're afraid to do what Jesus wants you to do? When you're afraid to serve God, what do you do? Courage steps up and wins the day. You behave with bravery and overcome your fear. When you say there is no fear, all you do is open yourself up to be blindsided. Because suddenly you're going to go, oh, this feeling I have. What am I feeling? That I can't actually do what I'm supposed to do here? Why do I feel somehow reserved to do what it is that God is calling me to do? Our walk of God, our walk of life in God is unique. But amazingly, it is the unique orchestration of God. You may or may not remember, and if you don't, I'm going to encourage you to go there and read it. I'm not going to go there and read it, but I'm going to encourage you to go there and read it today at some point in time later today, Acts 17, where Paul is ministering in Athens, and he talks about the, how we are all, by God, he orchestrates our surroundings, our walk of life, the barriers and the borders in which we live, that we might grope around for him and by chance find him, but he was never far from us in the first place. God perfectly orchestrated your walk of life and set up your boundaries so that you might seek him. And now here you are hearing from the Word of God, hearing God's call on your life. 
Hearing God calling you to accept the fact that there are times that you will be afraid and have other barriers for that matter and that you will overcome them by courage, by trusting God, by letting Him lead, and so on. So, to be clear before we go to a conclusion, number one, believers, that's us if you're a follower of Lord Jesus Christ, come from all walks of life. And all of those things that are from our past walk of life are grist for the mill. They are for us to use to do what it is that we are supposed to do in Christ. And there is a time to overcome fear and do what God wants you to do, no matter what the risk is. Whether there's peer pressure or personal programming or pandemic fear, these are all very realistic forms of feelings, thoughts that lead you to go a certain direction. And there is a time to overcome them and do what it is that God would want you to do. So here is the conclusion, and it's lengthy, and that's why we got to it so quickly. Okay, Here is the conclusion. The prisons of this world are composed of exactly two. No more and no less. Two materials. Now you might be locked in jail and you'll see bars, you'll see guards, you'll see alarms, right? But the prisons of this world are composed of exactly two materials. They are facts and thoughts about facts. Those are the two materials. So if you're in prison, you're trapped by bars, fact. You're trapped by guards, fact. You're trapped by alarms, fact. The guards have guns, fact. The guards monitor your schedule, fact. The guards monitor your food intake, fact. Those are all facts. However, those facts are then all interpreted by thoughts. You may or may not know his name, but there was a man named Nelson Mandela. Some of you probably do know his name. Nelson Mandela became the first African-American president in South Africa after the apartheid movement, which basically was a war against blacks and political movements. So they were, the, the country was divided, and I don't know all the history, but they're divided in two parties. And Nelson Mandela had been thrown in jail for his radical thoughts, where he spent 27 years. After 27 years in jail for his radical thoughts, he was released... After he was released, he ran for president, and he won. Now, you can imagine, if 27 years in jail, and and many people didn't even make it to jail, they were just killed for having the kind of thoughts that he had. But he was locked in jail for 27 years, and it was the kind of jail where you went out, they didn't have no gym set, they didn't have no barbells, they didn't have good food. Right? This was a prison in a dark part of the world, South Africa. Not a good place. They spent their days, 8 to 12 hours a day, breaking up rock to make gravel for roads. The rest of the time, he was locked in a 4 by 3 cell. Not a 10 by 10 like you might get in an American mid-sized prison, right? But a 4-foot, your bed, your twin-sized bed, if you have a small bed, is 3 foot wide. So outside of his bed, which was probably only about 2 foot wide because it was a cot, he had 1 to 2 feet of space. And the bed went from wall to wall. And he spent around 16, 12 to 16 hours a day in that space. So you can imagine after he came out and became president, he's going to fix the problems. So you know what he did? Anybody know the story? If you don't really know his story, I encourage you to watch a movie that Clint Eastwood produced called Invictus, which is the story of Nelson Mandela. What he did was he fostered a campaign in South Africa 
of, wait for it, forgiveness. He began to teach South Africans that come from all walks of life to forgive those who had hurt them. The people that had killed their brother, their uncle, their sister. He fostered a campaign of reconciliation. And the people of South Africa began to unify over forgiving one another and putting behind what they had been through. See, they all came from different walks of life. They all now had prisons constructed of my brother was killed in the street in front of my face. I watched them kill my brother because he was a radical terrorist when actually just had differing political views. My sister was raped by soldiers who came into our home and because we have no rights in this country, I watched them rape my sister. These factors that were in their lives were forming the prisons around them. They were forced and trapped to feel that they had to take revenge, to feel that they had to live in fear of the government, of the police and of the guards and the soldiers and that the color of a person's skin determined whether or not they had rights. And their political views determined whether or not they had rights. That was the prison they'd been forced into. And who better to reform their thinking on that prison than a man who had spent 27 years in an actual prison learning that all prisons are defined first by facts, second by thoughts, or first by thoughts, second by facts. I submit to you it's that way, not the other. The prisons of this world are composed of exactly two materials. The facts and what you think about the facts. Faith within the will of God can change the facts. Jesus said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. You can come from a background. I I, I met a man who did not know Christ and he was raised in a not very good home and he did not learn to read. He couldn't read better than first grade reading level. And he was ashamed to tell me. And he came to the life station and he accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I said, well, now there's some things you want to do. I want you, I'm going to give you this Bible. I want you to read the Bible. I want you to pray daily. I want you to worship God in your own way. Figure out how I worship God. I said, get involved in a local church. I said, love people. God wants us to love people. So we'll love people. Love the people that bother you the most. Find some way to love them, right? That's what God wants to do. And he said, well, can we back up a minute? And I said, okay, sure. He said, there's this problem with reading. You said reading. He's like, all the rest that I think I can do. So said, I'm ready. I'm going to try. I'm going to do my best to do all the rest. And he said, but I can't read. How am I going to read the Bible and know what God says? And I said, well, how bad is it? And he said, well, I really... And he said, I'll show you. And he, pulled out, he put, took the Bible that I just handed, opened some verses, and he tried to read it. And, he, said, and he, he, had, he could read like you and the and it, but that was about it. You know, little words, like two letters and, that we commonly say. And that was about it. He couldn't read words like your or statement. He didn't know how to read those words. And I said, okay, well, here's first, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to pitch yourself right now because you're supposed to read God's words. I want you to don't give yourself an excuse. I want you to pitch yourself now to learn to read better. You can't wait until then to read the Word of God. But because you are now passionate, because you're now saved and you want to read the Word of God, you're going to work to read, right? And he said, okay, yes, I'll do that. I said, now, while you're working to read, here's what you're going to do. And I gave him a CD that had the Bible on it in audio. And I said, and here's what's really cool. You can actually combine things because this version of this CD matches this version of your Bible, which means if you open your Bible and you follow the words with the CD as you listen, now you can do this today in the Bible app. No matter what version of Bible you have, they have it in the Bible app. And you push the little arrow button and it'll play it for you. And you can read the words along with that 
and, you, and it will tell you what every word is, word for word perfect. And so as you hit it, you'll start reading, you'll go, you have, uh, and it'll say heard, and you'll go, oh, that's heard. And you can do that with every word. Within a few years, he could read. Great, maybe not, but like fifth or sixth grade reading level, and that's all you need to be able to read this every day. Your walk of life, where you came from, if it is the will of God, your faith and believing in the Lord can change those facts. Listen to this text as I read, the, read it today. And I want you to listen to it with a new set of ears. Here's what I want you to do. As we listen to it today, I want you to listen for the facts and also the thoughts about the facts. Okay? And I'm going to read from Luke chapter 21 once I get there. Okay? So you're listening for the facts and also the thoughts about the facts. And I'll try to point out a couple as we go by. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a certain poor widow putting in two small copper coins. What are the facts? They put a lot. She put little. They had a lot. She had little. Those are the facts. And he said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. For they all out of their surplus put into the offering, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. Now what are the facts now? See, if you have a certain set of thoughts, it changes the facts. Doesn't she put in two little coins? And Jesus said she put in more than all of them. See, she had thoughts. Her thoughts were that God was more important than her money. God was more important than her sustenance. So in putting those two little coins in, she redefined, she used, by faith, she changed. Jesus was saying her faith has changed the amount that she put in. We'll see it a couple more times in different ways. And while some were talking about the temple, that it was adorned with beautiful stones and votive gifts, he said, as for those things which you are looking at, the days will come in which there will not be left one stone upon another which will not be torn down. They were saying, man, how beautiful and awesome this is what God has had his people build here and he was saying someday it's going to be all gone it's all going to be torn down and they questioned him saying teacher when therefore will these things be see they wanted to know when it was going to happen and what will be the sign that these things are about to take place they wanted to know what it was going to, what was going to happen before it happened and he said see to it that you not be misled for many will come in my name saying I am he and the time is at hand do not go after them and when you hear of wars and disturbances do not be terrified for these things must take place first, but the end does not follow immediately. Then he continued by saying to them, this is where it gets good, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be, a great, will be great earthquakes and in various places, plagues and famines, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. It will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. Hear the facts? They'll be arrested, taken before governors, probably put to death is what's implied. Oh, it doesn't say that there, right? And what they're supposed to see that as is an opportunity to talk about God. Not as, oh, I'm going to die. How horrible is this? But rather, here I get to talk about Jesus. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves. For I will give you utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. But you will be delivered up even by your parents and brothers and relatives and friends and they will put some of you to death. This sounds very bad. And you will be hated by all on account of my name. That sounds very bad. Yet not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. In other words, if you go through this faithfully, you will win. 
But if you allow it to affect you, if you see the facts of the situation and allow it to affect you, you will lose. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is at hand. Desolation means wiped out. She's about to be wiped out. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are in the midst of the city depart and let not those who are in the country enter the city because these are days of vengeance in order that all things which are written may be fulfilled. Woe to those who are with child and to those who nurse babies in those days where there will be great distress upon the land and the wrath to the people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles has been fulfilled. So what were they supposed to do when they saw the destruction coming upon Jerusalem? Not a rhetorical question. Based on those verses, what were they supposed to do when they saw the destruction coming on Jerusalem? I'll go back and read it for you. Okay? What? Witness. Okay? That's what they were supposed to do when they were captured and carried before the synagogues and the judges. as witness, right? This is what it says in 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by cities, then recognize that her desolation is at hand. And let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And let those who are in the midst of the city depart. And let not those who are in the city enter the city because they are days of vengeance in order that all things which are written may be fulfilled. What were they supposed to do when they saw the city surrounded? Flee. Flee. What were they supposed to do when people came to arrest them to potentially put them to death? Not flee. The situation factually is if you're arrested and called before the governor and witness for God, you may be put to death. But you're not supposed to flee. The city is surrounded and is going to be destroyed. The situation is you stay there, you may be destroyed with it. Flee. The situ- bottom line is all the prisons of life are, de- are defined by facts and also thoughts about those facts. If you stay in Jerusalem, you can witness for a few more minutes, but you'll probably die with all the people who have not accepted Christ and all the problems that are in there and whatever. But I'm warning you so that you can flee so your witness can continue. So now, flee. If you stay where you'll be arrested, if if you're vocal and outspoken, then you'll be arrested, hauled before kings, and probably put to death. And some of you will be put to death. But I'm saying, don't flee. You need to be able to to determine when the thoughts about the facts are more important than the facts. Because Jesus says sometimes they're of the facts, and sometimes the facts are irrelevant. It is always within the will of God for thoughts to be changed. It is not always within the will of God for facts to be changed. Jesus prayed, Father, please, if there is any other way, don't don't send me to the cross to be crucified. But if there is no other way, then your will, not my will, be done. What were Jesus' thoughts about being crucified? Did Jesus want nails pounded into His hand? Did Jesus want His back filleted so badly that His flesh was hanging in strings? No! His thoughts were, I don't want to do this. Was Jesus afraid? Did he have fear? Well, yes. Because he prayed the night before in such anxiety. He was in such anxiety when he prayed that he sweat drops of blood. And yet his courage took him to the cross for us. What you need is a relationship with God that understands that sometimes the facts of your life are not something that God wants to change. They are for your best interest. Even if they're horrible circumstances, being martyred in the faith is terrible, but being a a coward and not sharing your faith is worse. 
Not listening to the teachings of God and knowing when to retreat from a situation so that you can survive and live on and serve God. That's bad. That's very, very bad. Staying in there, plugging away, trying to get it done when God wants you to back off. That's even worse. God can change the facts. But assuming that God will change the facts when it is not in His will to do so is a special kind of stupidity that makes sense only for non-believers. If you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, then assuming that God will bless you or take you to a certain place where God has no intention to take you is just stupid. It's foolishness. It's ignorance. At the same time, God can change our thoughts about our circumstances. And assuming that God will not change our thought about our circumstances, even though He desires to do so, is a special kind of stupidness reserved for those who do not know Him. Jesus said, if you suffer and overcome suffering, then I will have you sit on my throne with me. How are you going to overcome suffering if there's no suffering? And your life holds in store for you a special brand of blessing and suffering that is unique to your path. One last text, and this will conclude our sermon, and it's Romans chapter 12. Paul, who was an apostle and a servant of Jesus and took the gospel everywhere, was persecuted, stoned near to death multiple times, was probably stoned to death once because they stoned him, checked him, he was dead, then they left, he got up, walked back to town and kept preaching. Paul, who suffered like that, Paul, who continued like that, courageously continued, by the way, who was originally a wealthy man, who was originally uh, in line to be a member of the Sanhedrin, though he didn't become one. He was a teacher, coveted, etc. He became a, a rising star in Jewish society as he persecuted Christians everywhere, and then Jesus got a hold of him and he changed everything. He left all that behind, and all that he was became something new, which is what we're called to do. And this is what he writes to the church in Rome. He says, I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present yourself, your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. In other words, all that you are, give it over to God as a sacrifice to Him. Acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed. In other words, don't be mashed into shape by this world, but be transformed, be changed, be different than what you came from by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that the will of God is, what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, if you will do this, if you will stop allowing yourself to be scrunched into a certain shape by the world and where you came from, and instead be transformed by, by the renewing of your mind, changing your thoughts, letting Jesus change your thoughts about your circumstances, if you will do that, then you can know that which is good and acceptable and perfect to God. Meaning, you will know exactly when to die for God, exactly when to live for God, exactly when to stand up and be firm, and exactly when to be gentle and contrition. Verse 3 says, for, though the grace give, for through the grace given to me, I say every man among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Hear me? Get your thoughts under control. Instead of thinking you deserve it or thinking you're better than somebody else or thinking your path of life has made you better than somebody else or your skin color or your finances or your age or whatever, something has made you better than somebody else. Don't think more highly of yourself than what you ought to think. But think so as to have sound judgment 
as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ. Talking about the church. And individually members one of another. So individually we're connected together. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly. In other words, whatever you are given to do, whatever God has made you able to do, do it according to the way God would want you to. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith. In other words, as much as you believe, prophesy, if that's something you're supposed to do. If service, in his serving, or he who teaches, in his teaching, or he who exhorts, in his exhortation, that's encouraging others. He who gives with liberality, in other words, that means give a lot. If if your gift is to give, then give a lot. Give always, give often. He who leads, do so with diligence. That means work hard at it. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Don't pretend to love, actually love. Abhor, that means hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another. That means give um, favor the other Christians in your church above other people and above yourself in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. That means don't, don't be lazy. Work hard at it. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, Persevering in tribulation, that means you're going you're gonna to plow on through when things get really bad. Be devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, that means you give to your church your tithes and offerings to take care of the needs of the saints. Practicing hospitality, you reach out and serve and bring into your home and bring into your life and, and give gifts to others. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty. That means don't be prideful in mind. And associate with the lowly. If you see somebody who's down and out, you should get down and out with them. But do not be wise in your own estimation. In other words, don't think you're wise. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge. But leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And this is good. When you decide, regardless of where I came from, regardless of what I've been through, though I have come from a different walk of life than anybody else, I am going to use that walk of life. I'm going to overcome my own fear. And I'm going to go out and do what God would have me to do. There may be a time at which your fear, like when Jerusalem is surrounded and about to be destroyed, should lead you to run. Or there may be a time when your fear is just something to be overcome. You are unique. This is what makes us equal. The fact that we are all unique, having come from an individually separate, completely different walk of life than literally anyone else. The question is, will you see the things of your life with the thoughts of God? Or will you see them with the thoughts of the person who comes from where you come from? What you've been through. What you've done. And your job, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to live that way. 
to take what you've been through and the new things that you'll go through today and tomorrow, they get added to the list and see them with the thoughts of God. And if ever you wonder how exactly that is accomplished, I literally just read it to you. It's Romans chapter 12. That's how you see the things that you go through now, have gone through, and will go through in the future with the thoughts of God. If, suffice it to say this, if you've been through it, God meant it for your good. And everything that you now go through is according to His calling and purpose for your life, assuming you love Him and are called according to His purpose. Now, if you're in the room and you have not submitted your life, you have not given your life into His hands, you have not said, okay, God, you'll be in charge of me. You'll be in charge of what I do. I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to see the facts of my life by your thoughts. If you have not done that, then you need to do that. That wealthy man, Nicodemus, that that teacher of all the land, Nicodemus, that Pharisee who fasted two days a week, who memorized the entire book of Genesis word for word in the Hebrew without spaces or punctuation, I might add, but the entire book of Genesis word for word from beginning to end. Jesus looked him in the eye and he told him, unless you be born again, you shall not see the kingdom of God. And he was surprised. He couldn't quite figure it out. And so Jesus said then to him, don't be surprised. Do not marvel. I say to you, you must have a fresh start. And what Jesus was saying was, because everything before this moment has all been grist for the mill. It's all your experiences and it's things that you saw and the thoughts that you had about them. But now I want you to think with my thoughts. I want you to begin new and think born again. Will you submit your life into the hands of Jesus? Will you take the things that are coming and try the best you know how as taught by Jesus to look at them from His point of view? Or will you keep insisting that God changes the facts assuming that He will do so even though the things that are actually going on some of them are inside His will. They're what He wants. Or will you resist His changing your thoughts and say, no, I'm not going to think the way you want me to think. I'm going to keep putting dirty stuff in my head or bad stuff or I'm going to keep being angry. I'm going to keep being vengeful. I'm going to keep not doing it your way. If you would choose either of those two things, then the truth is you're not a follower of Jesus. But if you would just one time today and then going forward, let Him be Lord of your life. Let Him be in charge of you. Let Him show you how to think. Then like Nelson Mandela, after terrible circumstances that you go through, you will realize that you have become the master of your own fate. In Christ, you have become the master of your own fate. You get to decide how you think. Not people who told you you had to think a certain way. You get to decide how you'll act. Not just based on the circumstances that you went through. You get to decide. You will truly be free in Christ to be unique. Isn't that what we were made for? Isn't it what our soul longs for? You know you're different. But you assume that there are other people that are just like you. But the truth is God says, no, you are completely unique. Now, work with me to embrace that uniqueness and truly be free. And that's what he's called us to. And Joseph of Arimathea got up that day, not knowing for sure exactly what risks he was going to take. But led of God, he went and requested the body of Jesus and literally risked everything. And you can do the same in Christ. And pray for us briefly and then we'll have a song of invitation and our message is...
Thanks for choosing this podcast from New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo. New Heights is a Southern Baptist church uh, coming up on five years, May 22nd, 2022, constituted in East Toledo. We spent some time on Main Street and in a few other locations before we settled in this building which God provided. We're at 255 Hefner Street in Toledo, Ohio. The zip code there is 43605 if you should need to mail us something or search us out by some means that requires a zip code. You're welcome to come join us for worship on Sundays at 11.30. For Bible study on Tuesdays, we start, the kids start at 6.30, the adults start at 7, and we generally go till 8. And so we're in the Word and learning more about God, and hopefully from His Holy Spirit, by His Holy Spirit, through His Holy Spirit, led of His Holy Spirit to understand His Word uh, more completely and to allow it to be applied to our lives. And if you've got kids, I guarantee you they'll enjoy the God's Kids program that goes on during that time. It's uh, generally uh, team kid and uh, Bible verses, stories, games, occasionally snacks, that kind of thing. And they usually uh, enjoying themselves as they learn more and reach new heights in Jesus. We're looking for members, always, um, but we are looking for members who have a desire to follow the Lord answer his calling upon their life, and reach new heights in Jesus. We fully understand that this kind of church isn't for everybody, but uh, we're hoping that one day perhaps every Christian will recognize the great value in reaching new heights in Jesus every day. Check out fogandmoonbook.com, and you can actually find Fog and Moon books located on our website at the top of your screen if you're listening to the podcast through our website, or uh, go to churchtoledo.com. And that's our website with all the various aspects of the ministry on it. You can give there. You can also give by texting GIVE to 419 419. So that's 419 twice. 419 419 0095. If you text GIV to that number and set up your credit card or debit card, you can give uh, via text. And the finances will go directly into the budget for ministry and uh, hopefully to spread the gospel in Toledo and the surrounding lands. And um, if you're interested in the Life Station, more information there, you can go to lifestationtoledo.com or there is a link on the churchtoledo.com website. And Life Station also needs partners and volunteers and donors and prayer warriors and you name it as we get groceries out to people all across the city, operate a clothing pantry, provide toiletries, cleaning supplies, uh, encouragement of uh, a variety of ways. Speaking of encouragement, if you or someone you know needs to be encouraged, you can sign up on our website for that. You go to churchtoledo.com and go up to the top of the, the page, you'll see a link there to sign up to be encouraged. And we, den- we tend to send out text message occasionally, emails occasionally, and uh, audio calls um, submitted by the One Call Now system, at least as of March in 2021. Been pretty consistent with that. Anywhere from one to three times a week, you'll get about a minute and 45 second encouragement call, usually based on scripture and a little bit of information in there and an encouragement to reach new heights in Jesus and stand firm. And and I'll say during the pandemic, it's been very impactful for a lot of folks to be involved with that. If you would like to help in any aspect of the ministry, let's say you want to do encouragement calls, you want to pray for people, you want to give, you want to donate, you want to partner, whatever, you're welcome to reach out to us by any of the means listed on our website at churchtoledo.com or um, email a family of God at bx.net, which is actually listed there. 
but it's just as convenient. And I'll put that in the notes under the podcast. You can email a family of God at bx.net. So thank you for listening today, and God bless you, and uh, I hope you're reaching new heights in Jesus.